Today we'll be discussing the cult classic television show Party Down, and we'll be discussing misophonia. This is Doctor versus Comedian. I'm Dr. Asif Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor. Ali Hassan. Every episode, I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic for medicine and health and grills me on that topic. Today, we'll be discussing the revival of the cult classic television show, Party Down. And Ali will discuss his behind-the-scenes experiences with catering and entertainment. And then we'll be discussing misophonia. Misophonia. Listen, I had to get one of those out. I don't know what that is, so I'm excited. I mean, I know vaguely what it is, yeah. but I assume most people don't. So I will operate as your eyes and ears this particular day. And I'm excited to talk about Party Down as well. This has been a long time coming, actually, this conversation. Yeah. But before we do that, we get listener emails, which we love. We get a lot of back and forth. Some of it is worthy of reading because it's a little bit meatier. Some of it is just you know nice complimentary stuff, which we always appreciate. We did get, this is a few weeks back when we were talking about The Last of Us which is a fantastic show on HBO. If you haven't watched it yet, get on it. We got a message from a listener in Canmore, Alberta. Should I read this, Asif? I'll read this part. I listen to most of your podcasts with gusto. I like that. There's a bit of disappointment. She says, I'm from Canmore, Alberta. I was dismayed at your total lack of knowledge when discussing the location of filming The Last of Us. Now, Listen, if you're going to be dismayed at lack of knowledge, you're going to be dismayed a lot with us. We have a total lack of knowledge in a lot of areas, particularly the location of filming. We're going to talk about Party Down. I don't know where they filmed that. So that that happens from time to time. She did want to remind us that Toronto is not the center of the universe. And believe me, we don't need that reminder. I'm from Montreal and Asif is from Ottawa. Yeah, I mean, we really actually secretly and not so secretly hate toronto guys like i don't know what to say <laughs> don't, you, don't, we don't. don't let the secret out but anyway the contribution here was that our discussion could have and maybe should have embraced these locations edmonton capitol buildings main street in canmore plus other nearby mountain locations high river which was wiped out by the 2013 flood in a major way now Look, we don't know about this stuff, and I'll be quite honest with you, if we were to do the episode again, we still may not discuss these. So we're happy you wrote in. We're happy you you uh, illustrated these things. And I think it's probably a source of great pride for the city of Kenmore to have something that's so celebrated be filmed locally. So thanks for letting us know about it, and I'm happy we get the opportunity to mention it. Yeah, and I agree with you. Hopefully, we'll draw more attention to Alberta and people visiting Alberta because, really, when you watch that show, it's filmed amazingly well. Some of the vistas there, it's not CGI. These are real landmarks and sites that you can see in Alberta. So, thank you very much, Patricia, for the message. Usually, a lot of Westerns, from my yeah. very limited knowledge, as we've discussed, of where things are filmed. I do know because some of my friends in Alberta will be, you know, extra roles or smaller roles. And it's usually uh, Westerns. Right? You get, get a little bit of that desert-like, what is it called? The bull weevil? Not bull weevils. What are those called? Those things that roll in the wind? Tumbleweeds. Oh, my Tumbleweeds, God. Tumbleweeds, the bull weevil. <laughs> Woo! Total lack of knowledge. All yeah, right. Exactly. Let's get started. Exactly. 
Okay, Ali, so let's get into Party Down. This is a cult classic comedy. Lots of people may not be aware of it at all. And that's what cult classic seems to mean, usually. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That no one's heard of it. it. But it has picked up some interest it's over the years. Well, I'll tell you the only reason I know about it mm-hmm. is sitting across from me in my computer screen, staring me in the eyes right now. It's you. Oh. It's you. So you had told me about this show. No. People may or may not know, but I don't know how often we bring it up. I lose track of who I say to what, but I was a caterer for many years. And so Asif caught this show, and I'm going to be interested in in hearing how you heard of this show, although somehow you just are aware of all the shows. So you told me like, man, you were a caterer. You're in entertainment. This is a show about caterers who are dying to get into entertainment full time. They've dabbled in it. They're pretend actors. They're real actors. They're rejected actors. And I was like, I love the concept. I couldn't even tell you where, where I could find it. I think at the time, maybe Netflix existed and that was it. And so I really, I was like, I don't know where I would even find this thing. So where did you find this? Where did you find it? I had heard about it through just reading Entertainment Weekly. They were having, and it was kind of developing a lot of attention. Not a lot of viewers, but a lot of people were talking about it, saying this show is so funny. And we'll talk about it in a second in terms of how it. Where did you watch it then once you heard about it? Where did I watch it? I can't even remember. Back no, okay, in the day. that's not like because it, it was like 2008 around when it came out. 2009, sure. in fact, and you're telling me you watched it close to the time it oh, came out. Oh, I totally did. Totally. What? Yeah, okay, I so totally did. here's what happened. You told me about the show. I was like, sounds great. Love it. Love everything you're saying. Love Adam Scott. Love Ken. You know, there's a bunch of people in the show that are just the cast pedigree or caliber of this show is incredible. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing, there's nothing as far as I'm concerned, especially given what you had told me on the surface, there's no reason for me not to watch it. I love the idea. Finally, I'm going to say like 2015, 2016, I take a flight and on the plane, and it was like a flight, you know, like a four hour flight, something like this from, let's say Toronto to Calgary, some, some kind of distance like that a little less than four hours, I see party down on the airplane. And I'm like, oh my God, it's my chance. I have never been more disappointed to hear of a, a plane landing. Because oh. I, I started watching it within 20 minutes of taking off. And then it was just one after another, after another. And I just, I loved it. I was like, oh my God. And then for whatever reason, I think on the way back, <laughs> the plane didn't have TV screens. I was like, for the love of God. But anyway, I watched like six episodes back to back. And I would have gone, I would have, I think it was 19, 20 that were released. There was two seasons. I believe it was 10, 10, 10 episodes each season. I would have watched all of them if they were there and if I had the time. But yeah, that's how that all went. I was like, this is such a great show. Never was able to continue watching it. And so as you mentioned, the premise of the show is about these caterers in LA. They're trying to make it, a lot of them are trying to make it in the entertainment world, either as actors or writers. And just kind of what happens when they kind of cater these parties. Every episode is a different party they're catering. And it's the awkwardness. It's a workplace comedy. It's also kind of skewing the entertainment industry. So that's why I thought it was perfect for Ollie. So maybe we'll talk about the show in a second, but what about you? Any interesting experiences in you catering? I'm especially interested in when you were trying to get into comedy, trying to get into the entertainment business, and you were on the other side. I mean, I uh, there's a few things that come to mind here. Number one, a catering job is ideal for somebody who needs to like go to auditions. And the idea is for, for a lot of these actors and hopeful wannabe actors, however you want to say it, 
they're like, I just need to do something for now. This is not my career. So the transient nature of catering is great. The fact that, you know, parties are usually held on weekend nights. That's great. Your auditions are in the day. So you're, you could be a server as well in a restaurant, but sometimes you're like, oh my God, I got to audition tomorrow. Can somebody take my shift? There's a lot of scrambling. Whereas these parties that are on weekends, mm -hmm. it's actually perfect work. So it goes really, it, it's a great storyline and it, it works really well for a, um, a person's life. I was doing comedy and comedy and catering do not work as well with each other. And so what would happen in, I used to run a restaurant with a friend of mine. I'd have to get somebody to take my shift in the restaurant and there's big catering gig. And then I got to go there and leave another, you know, void in the restaurant. If they get busy in the restaurant, I'm, it was a two person restaurant. It was myself and my buddy Nanta. That was it. And sometimes we'd have a, a server. So what I was doing was not particularly entertainment world friendly, but I love the premise because it is such a perfect place. And it's also these people, they're young. They don't really care about the work. A lot of mm -hmm. caterers mm -hmm. are like, you don't need to care. Or if you have to care, you don't have to care for too long. You pretend for a little while and then you go back to the kitchen, fill up your tray with hors d'oeuvres. In that moment, you can go back to being yourself and then back out the door and then pretend again. But catering was often also the worst. It was absolutely, it sucked in many, many ways. I'll tell you one thing that I remember in particular. I remember, and I, I was just sort of done with New Year's Eve gigs in that, in that moment. I was like, this is the last one I'll ever do. And I, I never did it again. I cater at somebody's home. This, this couple has a very large home. They hire me to cater. I have a staff of two with me. I let them go by around 11 p.m. It's it's New Year's Eve. I'm like, oh, enjoy your New yeah. Year's Eve. I'll continue wrapping up. We've circulated like nine courses of appetizers, which is what I loved doing. You know, I create the appetizer. Just with appetizers. The of, just appetizers all night long, right? It's a New Year's Eve party. It wasn't dinner. It was what... And uh, I take a huge amount of pride in the appetizers I'm creating. Like, this is like my art. Before I had real, an art, if you want to call... <laughs> acting and comedy art. Some people don't, but if you want to, you can, I would encourage it. But this was my art previously. This was my creative outlet. And I took a lot of pride in it. And it's like best friends, like 20 people who just absolutely love each other. They're laughing and enjoying themselves all night. So it's getting lonelier and lonelier, lonelier for me. I don't even know the staff that I've hired. I know them just to converse with them. I don't even know them to like have you know, extended conversations about them or anything. I don't know their lives. Once they're gone, I'm quite alone. And then it's like clicking down to midnight. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh boy, there's going to be a lot of people around me hugging and kissing and like happy new year. It's Quebec it's kissing for sure. Uh, and sure enough, midnight strikes and there's just so much love all around me. And I'm like, Ah, this is very, very lonely. I'm not enjoying this at all. I hate this quite a bit. It's fine though. It's fine. And then around 12, 10, after 10 minutes of like intense hugging and singing, you know, old Lang Syne and God knows what, the woman who hired me, the owner of the home is like, Ali. And I go, yeah, I go, okay, great. She, she realizes that she's a decent human being and she should at least, you know, maybe give me a handshake or a little hug or something. Happy New Year. She goes, Ali. I go, yeah. She goes, a lot of people were drinking downstairs earlier. So there's a lot of beer bottles everywhere. Can you go and pick up those beer bottles? <laughs> Number one, you're a jerk. Number two, uh, that's not what I'm here for. 
you hired me to cater. There's no, like the contract says nothing about like cleaning up the basement. I'll leave the kitchen spotless cleaner than I found it. But I'm not picking up people's beer bottles. Did I do it? Of course I did. Cause yeah. I hadn't talked to her about that. And it's like fresh out of new year's. It's not time to be like, I don't do that. You know what I mean? The mm-hmm. vibe is too good. I did mention it later when it was time to be paid. But anyway, I was just like, this is like, I couldn't feel low. Like it just doesn't pay enough to justify all that. Right. So that is kind of the vibe. And, and I'll tell you another story. Dan Bingham is a buddy of mine who used to be a comedian, stayed at your home, Asif, once mm-hmm. when we were mm-hmm. a younger broker. Yeah, and unbeknownst to me, he just broke into my house and stayed here. So it was That's a bit not weird. True. He was Dan, Iman, myself, and we were there. And he was doing catering and he went to acting school mm-hmm. with a girl who was there at this party. And he's about to go and say hi to her. This is his his classmate and friend for a few years. And he sees that she's talking to all these like executives. And, you know, I, I don't know if it was just for laughs. It was some like big corporation mm-hmm. that's well known. And he is picking up ashtrays. He's doing the dirtiest work imaginable on the floor. And he's like, I cannot go see her with this tray full of ashtrays full of cigarette butts mm-hmm. i just will not go see her so she didn't even know he was there oh, wow. but he was like i'm gonna get out of catering i can't be in the i went to film school with that person mm-hmm. i should be doing what mm-hmm. she's doing i should be meeting people i should be connecting with people i should be at parties i should be somewhere where i'm doing what i love doing and i should be you know celebrated in some way for it or at least on my way and that was the last time. Something about a dirty ashtray mm. in front of his face. Something about a woman saying, go downstairs and collect the beer bottles. And you have those moments regularly as a caterer. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. constantly being belittled or devalued as a human being in some way or the other. So it, uh, it sucks pretty good. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So, but then did you have experiences on movie, TV, music, video sets Especially if you're like, I I would love to be on the other side or maybe the opposite where you got more, you got more acting gigs or whatever, because you were the caterer. Does that ever happen? That's what I think people want, but I I don't know how often that occurs. Oh, that's a, that's a, that, that doesn't happen. I'd be, I'd be interested to hear if that ever happened to anybody, but that's not a thing. I used to do some videos. I was at the craft table, which is the worst thing you can possibly do. You had mentioned that before. How like you have a finite amount of money for the craft and then you end up, you end up losing money. You said, I end up losing money because I want to make people, I want to make good food, but most people just have granola bars and like peanut butter and bread and that's it. But yeah, no, you got to get out of it really as quickly as possible. I mean, my, my goal was even when I was doing like music videos, I was like $12 a head, which I had to fight for. You know, he was like 10 bucks. I was like, oh man, can we make it 12? He's like, maybe I could do 11. I go, man, 12. If there's 24 people on a, on a video set, it's not even 300 bucks, man. My groceries cost me 150. It's all my time and prep. You're killing me here. And I remember when I asked him, I said, hey, man, what about like the bigger stars? Like, so Cornet is this huge French artist at the time. What about Cornet or, man, what about Celine Dion? I said half jokingly. And he just laughed at me. He goes, dude, they bring their own caterers. You can stop dreaming about that. And then I was like, well, then, then that's who I got to be. Like, I wanted to be a caterer towards people who like, in my mind, would appreciate the food that I'm making. Would they? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why I think they would or wouldn't. They, they may actually not appreciate me as a human being either, regardless of what level. I think what I wanted was just to get paid a, 
a normal livable amount of money. So yeah, I don't think you make any particular connections with guests, but you do have one of the leads, Henry, in Party Down, who's played by Adam Scott, has this great line where he says, I'm making a living being an extra in other people's lives. Mm -hmm. That's what you are like. Nobody talks to the extras. When you're on a, a movie set, you don't talk to the extras. When you're a, a version of an extra, nobody talks, or at least that's the, that's the general thing. You know, extras don't really get the recognition. And, and, and you know, when I've been on sets the crew works hard to keep extras away from the the actors and then once in a while one guy will sneak in and just start talking your ear off about a script he's writing and then you're like ah oh, that's why they keep them away i don't agree with the separation and then you meet somebody who really monopolizes your time and you're like i gotta i have to go for lunch and the yeah 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 just one more thing what's your phone number i'm like what's your phone but i don't even know you know so, so there are some people in that extra world trying desperately to crack into yeah. entertainment, but it's never a good scene. So what you have is your community. What, yeah. what I'm getting at is That's what right. you have is your community of other caterers. You can commiserate, you can show off, you can feel jealous, envious of them, but they're your people. And that is a great representation in Party Down. Well, I'll tell you a very brief story. This is my only brush with this catering aspect. So I don't even know how I got involved in this. So my friend Ed, who I when I was living in Toronto, he's my, my buddy who uh, was also in Toronto. And he's like, hey, there's this opportunity where we can volunteer at Norman Jewison. So Norman Jewison is a very famous Canadian director. He's about 100 he's, years old right now. Did you yeah, know that? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, I think he's just shy of 100. He's almost 100. Yeah. Unbelievable, yeah. So he has a barbecue at the Toronto International Film Fest every year. Not sponsored, maybe associated with TIFF, which is the, the name of the film festival. But he kind of does it on his own. It's known as the Norman Jewison barbecue i'm like oh my gosh we can go there and hobnob with celebrities this is awesome okay so i went with ed and i think his girlfriend and her friend also so there's like four of us okay so we show up there and the two women they're like we got a perfect job for you two there was like a tent that was set up to give away these free energy drinks right it was kind of like a sponsor of the barbecue and uh, they're like yeah just just you guys just go behind here give them out hey you don't want to try a free energy drink and give them out perfect so they get to hobnob with everybody everybody's friendly to them oh that's great you know chatting with them and me and ed are like perfect what do you guys want us to do they're like well your job is to mainly go get the ice from the trucks there and bring it to each of the different stalls where they're serving uh, drinks. Uh, that's it, back and forth. <laughs> uh, and you got to do that for three hours. I'm not a supporter of classism on paper, but you tell me what it would look like if your hobnobbing plans, you were like, I'm doing it. So you've got ice bucket in one hand and you're like, hey, you're Norman Jewison, right? Yeah, you know, very interesting story. I wanted to tell you about something. And hey, do you want to try an energy drink? I know some people who might may make your heart stop, but, uh, but you know, worth trying. Like that person, you know, Norman Jewison would be like, can somebody get this person away from me? Like it's it's understood. And this is part of the problem or, or yeah, it's a part of the challenge of this industry. And it's very much, you know, addressed in Party Down. It's like, you are there at these parties, at these events, to talk to other people who can help you and less so who you can help. It's one of those two things. 
but you're only helping them so that they can maybe help you in some way, you know, and mm-hmm. at the very least you'll help them in the sense that you'll produce their movie, but it still gives you a producer credit. You're, you're talking about the people who attend the parties. You're not talking I'm, about that, I'm talking about guests. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. what I'm talking about is caterers play no role in no role exactly you're not helping anybody other than getting them their drink or their ice or their free energy drink totally true yeah i mean i know and in my my bare exposure to the entertainment industry mainly through you it is a bit kind of this networking is is the positive way to say it being a leech off other people is another way to say it perhaps but uh (laughs) anyway so all this to say yeah it was quite an experience i was like okay i really am nothing here and uh, I only saw one. And that's the craziest part, especially in Toronto. Ali, you've been to many of these functions, I'm sure, in Toronto. Not a lot of actual celebrities there. And I'm like, I don't know who any of you people are. I'm sure the guests attending, oh, that's a producer for Atlantis, Alliance Atlantis Films or whatever, sure, or CBC sure, sure, producer. Sure, sure. But for me, I'm like, I don't know who any of these people are. I don't care who they are. Except for one celebrity who was there. I will give you a clue as to who they were. So female singer. Very popular in the 90s with one basically album and one big hit. Alanis Morissette? No, uh, Alana Alana Miles. Yes. How did you know that? I just knew it. One. uh, What? Poor Alana Miles. She's still. (laughs) No. Big in the 90s. I had her album. I had her one. Uh, Everybody had that one album. Black Velvet. I cannot believe it. I know, dude. I I had high hopes. I had high hopes for Alana Miles. I really. Nobody else should have gotten that that quickly. Yeah. I do, and and you know how slow my brain usually works. Yeah, and it's like you're giving me clues, and the answer is yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I should have got it five clues. Listen, ago. and this was in the early 2000s, so she is already like her career is already it's waning. Anymore, uh, yeah. So it was not much. So anyway, and that was the end of my story. So uh, yeah, I did not really enjoy that pseudo catering. I wouldn't even. I mean, if I could give out those energy drinks, that would have been amazing. But nope, they just chose the women for that, and the guys to the back of the line so i guess let's talk a bit about this show party down and give a bit of background on people i really suggest people watch it it's it's created by rob thomas he's no not rob thomas from uh, max matchbox, matchbox 20. 20 but rob thomas luckily the, luckily exactly, that, i don't think that guy knows uh, tv <laughs> yeah. that well to be honest yeah so he he created veronica mars that's how people might know him but this so he's tried to get party down created before because he thought there was a very interesting milieu this idea of catering but he couldn't get it down so actually he did veronica mars first and then because of that success it got party down made he also did it with john enborn and dan etheridge and a certain person named paul rudd have you heard of paul rudd <laughs> so he's good friends with all these guys and they all all four of them pitched it and this is the time that paul rudd is now ascending 40 year old virgin and an anchorman yeah. and so he's he's ascending here in the uh celebrity stratosphere so that's how they were able to get meetings to do it. But so they got thought this idea and it was kind of based on the British office. So what Rob Thomas is, says is the first scene that he saw of the British office where David Brent tries to hire a forklift operator. And he just like, I can't believe this show. He said his jaw was on the floor. It's comedy in a way I never envisioned. It. He said, this is the future of television. This kind of fly on the wall just the way the setups and punchlines were done and kind of that underlying melancholy as well, right? Of The Office. There's definitely that and it should exist as I've explained you know, to you what catering can be and most often is for the caterers, not for the people hiring them. But there's another element that I thought you were going to mention that you didn't. There's also that slightly like the jump into the world of cringe that can happen yes. at any minute. Yes. 
that is something they loved in the office, and that is definitely something that people should know about exists in Party Down. And this is why I think people will like Party Down. It's not really filmed in the documentary style like The Office. No. But that's cringe, and and really, the British office is the king of that. And then, of course, people love The American Office, right, which is based on the British office. So I have a feeling if people like those shows, and now they watch Party Down, they'll be like, oh, I see where this is coming from. It's It's very similar in that respect. So what happened was they tried to pitch it to people. They, people didn't really get it. So they actually filmed a pilot basically paying for it with their own money and some of the stuff, equipment and crew they used for Veronica Mars. And they filmed it. And Paul Rudd was actually in this unaired pilot. Lizzie Kaplan wasn't. She was played by somebody else. And then she was cast in the show. And they tried to get HBO to do it. They said, nope. Showtime, nope, Comedy Central. And then finally, Stars, this uh, network in the US, was trying to get more into comedy and original programming. So that's that's how it was picked up. It was, as you said, two seasons, 20 episodes total. And the season finale of season two, which was the series finale, had 74,000 viewers. I mean, just to let you know, I think we have 74,000 listeners. Like, it's, <laughs> it's very low. It's a very low. It is very, very low amount. So, but again, like, it just kind of people kind of heard about it over time and it picked up speed or over time. It became more interesting. And then now you see people who are in it who are just kind of either they hadn't broken out into the big, big, big time yet. So I'll give you an example of people who are in it. As you mentioned, Adam Scott, who is now known for Parks and Rec and Severance and, you know, millions of things. But it was before Parks and Recreation, which is kind of, he's been a couple of things before, like Step Brothers, but this was really what kind of blew him up was Parks and Rec. So this was right before that. Ken Marino, a classic comedy actor, but my kids know him because he played uh, one of the replacements for Lieutenant Holt in uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. When we were oh, yeah. yeah right, right, so right. that's my, my kids, as soon as I see him, that's, that's who they, kind of like a bit of a doltish uh, captain. Uh, oh, it's Captain Holt. Dolt. Yeah, yeah I said Captain, uh, Lieutenant Holt. I said Captain. It's Captain Holt, right? He's a great dolt. Lizzie Kaplan, again, she was in Masters of Sex. Like, she's had a big career now. Mean Girls. Yeah, she classic, uh, great, great actress. Uh, Ryan Hansen, who was also in Veronica Mars. Martin Starr, Silicon Valley. Again, like I'm just naming people. Jane Lynch from Glee. Jennifer Coolidge, again, she's won a bunch of Emmys recently for White There's Lotus. There's no R in it. It's Jennifer Coolidge, but yes. And oh, then Megan yeah. Mullally in season two and two three, and three yeah. took over Jane Lynch's role in a sense. Yeah, in a sense. She was the same kind of archetype character, not the same yeah. person, but yeah, exactly. Because Jane Lynch went on to, to, to her Glee. step into superstardom, yeah. which is Glee, yeah. So really, it's 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 just it's an embarrassment of riches, and then the fact mm-hmm. they were able to get everybody back together for this this revival. So it's been with talked about for years. With the exception of Lizzie Kaplan. With the yeah, exception of Lizzie Kaplan. Exactly. It's so, still insane. It is still insane. Yeah, that these because these people are much, much more famous than they were before. And to get them all back together, it, it's kind of a, a strange feat. And then I get, and stars wanted to make Make it again. And in fact, if you read, we'll link to some of these articles and some of the presidents of stars, the network were like, our biggest mistake was letting go of party down and not promoting it enough. Right. It could have been their office. It could have been their Silicon Valley. And yeah, I don't, well, you know, you say office and Silicon Valley. I don't know if those are the right parallels. I would say it could have been their, their mad men or their, what's the big one from IFC. There was one show that put IFC on the map. Uh, Portlandia? Yes. Right? So it could have been their Portlandia, meaning that AMC, IFC, nobody was watching them. Nobody's, no, today, to this day, nobody's watching stars. I, again, I tried to watch season three, first episode, 
not available. I'm got, I've got a, a trial on stars that they allow me to watch past episodes. So I rewatch the pilot again and I'll rewatch all these episodes, but I can't watch season three. I have to do like, I'm like, I'm not, I have enough streaming services. Come on stars. It's, it's the same frustration I have with Hulu. And it's the same reason why like Rami Youssef himself doesn't feel any ill will towards people who are illegally downloading Rami. He's like, I want people to watch this. And Hulu is very, limited in in you know where and 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 how you can get it so um if i can watch this illegally i will no respect stars i'm just kidding i'm fine with stars but i i just don't they make it tough to watch overall what are your thoughts on the show as a whole after you you know you kind of mentioned it when you said how much you enjoyed it on the plane i mean look for me personally the idea of this whole world is amazing already. They're doing self tapes with each other and like practicing for their auditions. And it's, it's similar to some of the other shows we've seen with, with like these sketch comedy actors who are together. I can't remember the name with Mike Birbiglia's show there. And it's like, you want everyone, you want the best for all your friends. And then one of them really succeeds. And then it's like this kind of envy, jealousy, ill will towards them succeeding. Like, like Martin Starr's, his character is like an archetype where he's like, I'm so much smarter than all these stupid LA writers. Nobody understands me. I'm like a misunderstood person. Meanwhile, you're booking this surfer dude moron here. You know, like there's a lot of that that happens too. And I just thought it couldn't be truer to life. So as far as a actually, you know, of course they turn on the comedy really high, but as far as like conceptually, I thought it's such a great concept. And the actors are fantastic. The storylines are fantastic. And there was one thing Paul Rudd said that I really enjoyed. He said this in an interview that speaking of LA in particular, it's a place where everyone kind of goes to start something, right? So whether it's directing or acting or writing or music, whatever it is, no matter who you meet, there's an undercurrent of can this person help me in some way? So it's a very unnatural way to form friendships. So when you find these type of friendships, like when you meet somebody, when you're a caterer and they're a caterer or a cater waiter, I should say, I'm giving them too much respect as caterer. When you meet somebody, it's, he's like, you really hold on to those friendships, right? Because you meet them in your most authentic way. They see the version of you having a smoke out on the steps after like complaining about like that kid stabbed me with a toothpick. I hate this party. I hate my life. I can't believe all these mistakes I've made. And then you got to turn that off because you're LA and you got to be like, yeah, I'm working on this and I'm working on this. And this is like one of the few places you can meet authentic people. So there's something beautiful about that too. So I'm, I'm a big fan of the show. And the cast really liked making the original series. Like I said, the pilot was kind of filmed guerrilla style in just someone's house and with, with kind of cast and crew they already had. And I think that brought them closer together. So they were all very happy to come back and do it. So I've seen the first two episodes of this season. It's a lot of fun. And I think it's it's really funny. So tell me this. How do they bring... It's been 10 years. Right. It's actually been 13 now that we're 2023. It's been 14 years. Under what guys do they... Right. Do they, like, so older and I, I'm trying out? to... Because again, people don't like spoilers. But it is interesting how they get everybody together. So in this updated version, Ron, who's played by Ken Marino, who was kind of like... A bit of he's like the overly prideful team leader of Party Down, very uptight, kind of stressing all the time, trying to make things perfect. He owns Party Down now. He ended up buying it, and so he employs a couple so people. Super that, crackers never happened. 
He never got his Super Crackers franchise? Exactly. Okay. It didn't happen. So he, and he employs a few of people. Most other people have gone on, some of them to success, some of them not to success. And one of them, Kyle, who's played by Ryan Hansen, he got a role in, in a blockbuster series, like a Marvel type series. He got a role in that. And it's the party to celebrate him getting the role and uh, decide yeah. to hire party down and everybody kind of comes back and i won't ruin anything else in terms of what ensues out of there but they do create it there's also a great kind of stinger at the very end about when this is okay, actually okay, taking okay place, you're getting into which ruining i will territory. not well i will not ruin so <laughs> it, it, it is definitely a lot of fun and again they have guest stars jennifer Jennifer Garner plays a huge role in this. In fact, they wanted this to focus on Adam Scott and Lizzie Kaplan's character, but Lizzie Kaplan, because she has some scheduling conflicts, couldn't do the series. So Jennifer Garner plays a quite different role, and and her. And, but you see that every episode there is there's a bunch of people, and there's a few new characters. One is an influencer who's does this on the side, and another person is a chef, and you'll recognize the person who plays the chef from the TV show The After Party. That's all I'll say. She appears in the second episode, and the chef is i think ali will like this idea of someone who's trying to create art through their food and so that's that's all please write to us if directly if you feel like he ruins things there have been some suggestions from our friends that asif sometimes is guilty of like i won't ruin anything except by saying the following things which may sort of ruin things i mean i guess so this is what i say like it's fine but if you're listening to this what else can i say other than we just say party down's a good show you should watch it well maybe some people want to hear a bit more about the show and i think some people feel ruining uh, there's there's varying definitions of ruining ruining, i'm I'm on the side of i want to know nothing like if you want to read a review of the new you know whatever avatar movie that came out a couple of years ago do you want like a review contains things that happen in the movie so i guess you don't read it if you don't want to know anything about what happens in the movie and i do understand anyway whatever if you want to see party what? down you should do it whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll end it on this people often ask me you know you watch a lot of tv shows what should i watch and i'll give recommendations for the classic ones that i like but those are ones people have heard of but the two comedy series that i recommend to people if that are more under the radar Party Down is one, and the other is Happy Endings. Those are two of my favorite comedy series of the last, say, 15 years. And a lot of people have not heard of them. So perhaps we'll do another episode of Happy Endings. But for today, Party Down. All right, Asif. Misophonia, which sounds like some kind of imposter syndrome but it isn't because of the word phony get it see it you see it i I do let me let me just dive right into the first thing because i think it is uncommon enough that everyone will share this question what is misophonia true and i think there's gonna be two categories of people people who've never heard of this or people who've heard about it i want to know more about it because if you have it or you know someone who has it, it it occupies people's minds a lot especially people who have it so Misophonia literally means hatred of sound, okay? So it's when you have these sounds, noises that particularly bother you. Now, already some authors are like, actually doesn't have to be sounds. It can be other things other than sounds. It could be touching something or smelling something. or So it doesn't have to be sound, but it usually is sound. Okay. And just to be clear, hatred, not a phobia. It doesn't, it doesn't encompass. Well, yes, yes, but. You'll see it's more complicated, but very good question. We don't know if it's neurologic or psychologic. I have a behavioral disorder. People don't know what happens. So basically you get an intense emotional response produced because of intolerance 
to a specific auditory or stimulus or something you hear. And we've talked about it for 20 years, but it is a bit hard to know exactly. Like I said, do we even call it a, a mental disorder, but people don't want to do that because maybe you're like kind of stigmatizing mental illness, but it's probably not a hearing disorder because it can actually occur in people with normal hearing or with hearing loss or who have some hearing problems and you don't have any problems. So MRIs, all your hearing tests are normal. So it's probably not a problem with your hearing system per se, but it's just this hatred of certain noises. So maybe it's easier if I give you some examples. So the yes. classic ones, because I think I'm being a bit obtuse here. I, I agree with Classic you. one is chewing. That is by far the most one. Loud chewing, like people chewing with their mouth open. That is a, a classic one. It could be slurping, right? Soup. Why can't you eat soup quietly? Is there a problem? Anyway, I'm not saying I have it. <laughs> Crunching food, nasal sounds, nasal breathing, sniffing, always sniffing, throat clearing, but also machine-related sounds, so computer clacking, so with long nails clacking on the keyboard, ticking of a clock, maybe certain clocks, right? A coffee maker, staplers, hair dryers, so mainly sounds like i said it could be other okay, things let's let's hold on here okay you've been going through all these let's talk about this i had a roommate who used to chew with his mouth open yeah we addressed it with him and he said i feel like it's a it's another way of enjoying your food oh my god like the sound of the chewing and i wanted to murder that idiot yeah and it was incredibly annoying. Do I have misophonia? Listen. I have. Uh, I hear people who breathe sometimes, and there's a whistling noise yeah. that goes up their nose. I can't. My mother used to sniff a lot. Rather than blow her nose, she'd sniff about 350 times, and then finally go blow her nose. Unless I was over, and I'd be like, "Can you maybe? What about yeah. blowing your nose? What do you think about that?" It would drive me to the point where I'm like, "Mom, please blow your nose." I can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is ridiculous. Do I have a low level of it? Do I have right. a mild version? Perfect. See, I just do. I have to give you some examples, then you know what I was talking about. Yeah. So those sounds, first of all, that you gave some examples of are called triggering sounds, mesophonic stimuli, or mesophonic sounds. All those terms are used interchangeably, and it doesn't matter the decibel level. It's not only when they're loud; it could be at any time. Okay. Then you have a response to that, which is a mesophonic response, okay? Muscles getting tight, increased heart rate, a feeling of pressure in your chest, maybe anxiety, disgust, avoidance behavior. You have to leave the room, right, Ollie? Oh, I'm yeah. sure you had to do that. Oh, yeah. But the Edward number and one- I did not see each other very much. Yeah. The number, number one, one emotional response, anger. Murder. Oh, anger. Yes. Yeah. See? It's, yes, it's murderous not, rage. Not literally murder, but the anger. Yeah, murderous rage. And the person who has it, you recognize that your response is abnormal and unwanted, uncontrolled, unacceptable in society. The absolute anger that you feel. So irritation and anger was, in one study, 60% of people was the most common misophonic response. 30% had aggressive verbal behaviors. And 16.7% admitted Physical aggression towards objects. So they take something and smash. That's always so smashing yeah. a hairdryer over your knee. Yeah, exactly. So this makes people, this anger makes people carry out these maladaptive behaviors. So arguing with people, telling them to stop, you know, recurrently, repetitively trying to escape from the situation. I think the other thing to remember is it's often tied into who or what elicits it. Because, again, you correct me if I'm wrong, Ali, it's, sometimes it's not just anybody eating loudly, it's that particular person. 
can be. And yeah. so yeah. It, it, it is interesting. So that's basically what it is. And if you look at how common it is, which I think was probably going to be one of your questions, and, and it has to do with your, your question about, well, what do I have, a mild form or severe form? Some studies say 20% of the population has it. Okay, that was from a study of 500 college students in Florida. 20% of those college students said that they have it. But a follow-up study that replicated the methodology but only looked at moderate and severe cases found about 6%. So in other words, a lot of people, a fifth of people may have mesophonic symptoms, okay? But severe means it's actively interfering with your life and impairing your ability to carry on a normal day is about 6%. Let me ask you this, and you may or may not have the answer. I've been listening very carefully to things you talked about, the chewing, even maybe you know breathing, whatever, crying, this kind of stuff. These are, these are things that I, I get. What about, this doesn't speak well of me, but I'll admit it anyway. My father was trying to set me up with somebody, his buddy's daughter. I meet her absolutely lovely. I heard her voice and I was like, that, I can't, I can't live the rest of my life with that voice. And I think I venture to guess that most people have heard a voice that they find like just irritable. And it's nothing that person is doing wrong. It is just their voice. And you're like, Oh, I'm not sure I could live my life with that person. Never mind, Spend a weekend with that person. That voice is very grating on my ears. That doesn't seem to be here with misophonia. Why is that? Yeah, I, I, I don't know how often like someone's voice, it may be more a certain phrase they say. It's usually more sounds than the voice itself. Okay. But I, I'm sure there are examples of voice. Like, uh, I, I don't have misophonia, so I don't know, but I'm sure that there is. So I was going to originally ask what causes it, but it, I, I think a better question might be, why do some people have it and why do some people not have it? Yeah, and of course, the cause is unknown. It's been described for about 20 years in the scientific literature, but it's more in the psychology literature than the neurology literature. So I sometimes get referrals for like, oh, can you see this patient as a neurology consultation for misophonia? I'm like, well, I don't see that. It's really more psychology. One of the things we know is it happens to occur more in people who have obsessive compulsive disorder or obsessive compulsive personality disorder. We did a whole episode on OCD, so I just remind people OCD is you have an obsession to relieve that obsession, you do compulsion. Obsessive compulsive personality disorder are the people who love their house neat and tidy. Everything has to be in its place. And the difference often between those two, traditionally, what they used to say is one is egosyntonic and one's egodystonic. So what that means is the people, it's egosyntonic in the obsessive compulsive personality disorder. You like things being neat and clean. You like everything in its place. You're proud of your clean house. The people with OCD, however, it's egodystonic. They don't like that. It eats at them inside. They hate the fact that they have to do the compulsions, but they have to to relieve the obsession. But both can be seen with it. So then a lot of people just say, this is just a type of obsessive compulsive disorder or obsessive compulsive personality disorder. That's all it is. You're obsessing about this particular noise, right? You can't get it out of your head. And it's also seen with anxiety, depression. In one study, the severity of their anxiety was associated with the severity of the mesophonic symptoms. But then there's other studies that say, actually, there's a very low rate of correlation. In the end, probably people say that there's a pure form of mesophonia where you just have mesophonia and that's it. And a second subgroup where you, it's, a, it's occurring with a psychiatric disorder. So that's, that's one possibility. The other thing you could ask is, well, what about the brain? Like, what is going on in the brain? 
So essentially, when you do what we call functional MRI studies, where you can look at the brain activity, we see that at rest and with non aversive stimuli, so normal stimuli, your brain functions normally. I'm very much simplifying what they found. But in when you get a mesophonic stimulus, so the chewing, then the areas of the brain that light up are the insula and the right anterior cingulate cortex. So these are kind of like important for selecting emotionally relevant information. So in other words, you're tying this more to emotion than you should. So you're not just simply stating a fact in your brain, oh, that person is chewing food. It's now generating an emotional response, right? Which makes sense. And there's a new study from last year done by someone in Newcastle University, Sukhbinder Kumar, who also found that it's a very interesting study. What happens when they listen to mesophonic sounds, they show activation in brain regions that control movements of the face, mouth, and throat. So somehow you're registering this chewing noise, this slurping sound. It is activating the emotional centers, but it's also activating your control of your chewing. It doesn't mean you're chewing, but those areas are are lighting up. So it's some sort of like you're using these unusual pathways and mirroring almost in your brain what they're doing. So it's a very novel finding that came out about a year ago. So I'll link to the article. So again, it doesn't really help us in terms of finding exactly what's going on, but it, it does add another piece to the puzzle that there is something going in the brain in these patients, which is different than what's going on in other people. So everyone, that's our show for today. Let us know what you guys thought, drvcomedian at gmail.com. Let us know, have you guys watched Party Down? Did you guys like that? What about the spoilers? Are you are you really <laughs> upset about my descriptions or not? I really want to hear about that. Dr. V Comedian on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're everywhere. Not TikTok, but we've explained that previously. They won't have us. That's right. I'm willing to bet people listening today, if one out of five people have some level of misophonia, I'm willing to bet some people put a put a name to a to a thing that they're going yeah. through. So and that's why I want to talk about it. Yeah, we we've talked about a lot of on the podcast a lot of well-established things, but this is kind of a newer thing. And I think the problem is I didn't get into this. Uh, kind of adding this on as a postscript. There's no set diagnostic criteria. Lots of groups argue about the diagnostic criteria because some people say it has to be sounds, and other people say it doesn't have to be sounds. Until you have that, it's very hard to really identify cases, really identify severity, then do the trials. So there's still a lot of work to go with this. But I think, as you said, people are going to listen to this and say, I think I have that. Now, remember, is it interfering with your daily life? If it's not, it's probably nothing to worry about. If it is, then you may want to look at some of those things we talked about. But remember that although I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. Medical issues we talk about are for your interest and information only, and they're not medical advice. Please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice. Thanks for listening. Bye.